Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another version of Bill Roden on sports. Uh, Bill Roden in sports, I was going to say, but it's Bill Roden on sports. Can, we be, can you be in and on at the same time? Yeah, it's interchangeable. Okay, so. That's my ruling. So, okay, so the ruling on the field is that it could be either one. All right, anyway, I'm sorry. Bill Roden on sports here in New York in Midtown Manhattan uh, with my great co-host uh, to my far left, the great Jamal Murphy. Murph! What's up, Bill? Good to see you. Yeah. You're coming back from uh, from D.C. Yes. Recently. Last night. Oh, yeah. Yes. Actually, he was in D.C. last night with uh, Etan Thomas and uh, Dr. Um, Michael Eric Dyson. <laughs> I don't know. What? Does anybody else? Is this me? Like, when you kind of, kind of come up with names or something, like, you just forgetting. I'm just... Like, yeah, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, You're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Like, damn, but please, even if I'm not, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Misery loves company. Uh, then, of course, on my left, the great Nabate Isles. Nabate, what's up? How you doing, sir? How's everything? All right? Yeah. Very good. Yeah, and how was that debate? You you did your thing or what? Well, we'll you talk know? about it. Okay. It was, it was <laughs> well, you know, when you talk about uh, Michael Eric Dyson, man, I mean, you know, you know, he's very brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. Michael is very brilliant. He has that Got book great. on Jay-Z coming out. So. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of defending Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. He was kind of defending okay. Jay-Z uh, a lot, you know. <laughs> but uh, we got a really special guest in the studio, uh, a musician I've admired for a long time and just reminded me that we had met about 16, 17 years ago at a gig. Uh, but I'm talking about the great Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson, uh, known primarily, well, not primarily as a great jazz musician, but, you know, uh, uh, as a flutist. Alto saxophone playing, but I mean, you probably could play anything, right? Well, pretty, pretty much. Well, I, I have fun trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but great, great Steve Wilson, uh, remarkable musician, uh, very versatile, one of the most versatile uh, musicians on the scene uh, from Hampton, Virginia. Uh, anyway, man, hey, hey Steve, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Man, thank you, and it's really an honor to be here with, with all of you cats, man. You, you guys are heavyweights, and I'm just honored to be in your presence, man. Yeah, how, how did how did Nabate rope you into this, man? <laughs> you do it after a gig, or yeah? yeah. Well, 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 we've been ruminating in this for a while, you know, because because you know Nabate, man, he he's always schooling me, you no. know. On, no, serious, man, this cat is is uh, you know got encyclopedic knowledge of sports, and I've loved sports all my life, and uh, you know when we're on the road, or even when we're home, you know, we talk about the games and and mm-hmm. players and stuff. And man, he's always got the inside four one one. You know, I've got I've schooled him just maybe one and a half times, but he's schooled me like a hundred times more than that. But, but yeah, man. So when he when he said, "Man, you would you like to come on the show?" I said, oh, "Are you kidding, man? I, I would just be, you know, I, man, I'd be thrilled just to be sit here and listen to you guys just do your thing." But so this is, um, yeah, here we are. So are you uh, are you in town? What do you live? You live you live in New York, right? Yeah, I live in New York. Uh, so are you are you uh, you playing? You, know, you have a gig? Are you with a group? Or what, what's what's going on now? Where are you playing now? Well, where can I, we hear you? Well, uh, next my next gig is at Dizzy's. Uh, oh, nice! Right around the corner with uh, Rufus Reed's big band. Oh, wow! Uh, and a Grammy nominated uh, big band actually. 
Um, and Nabate and I just Nabate and I just got back from Monterey in San Francisco with Mc, uh, Christian McBride, of course. Uh, but that's my next thing coming up, and uh, then I'll be in town again uh, November uh, Thanksgiving week with Maria Schneider's orchestra mm. nice. at Jazz Standard. We're doing uh, I think our sixteenth or seventeenth right. year, like same week, that yeah. same week. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. How's 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 Monterey? How's the Monterey Jazz Festival? Oh man, killing. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was cold though. It, was it caught cold. me yeah. by surprise. It was, really? <laughs> it yeah. was cold, but it was yeah. Cold man wow. Hawkins was out there. <laughs> <laughs> cold, I'm like cold man Hawkins. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I never heard that one before. <laughs> Body and cold. There you go. 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 See, it's on the set. It's on the set. Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's great. Um, anyway, so we, we're talking. I mean. You know, sort of the theme here is that there's always been this this great uh, symbiotic relationship between musicians and the music. Yes. Either you know, jazz musicians and music, and I guess even now, even the younger musicians, uh, there's a, a relation between them and and rap. But it always seems to be this relationship between musicians and music. Right. And I'm always I'm curious about why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think that? I mean, you, I don't know which came first, your love of music. Or your love of sports? I, you know what? I think actually the love of, of well, I'd say simultaneously. And mm-hmm. here's, here's why I say that. Because the first uh, recording I remember hearing, even to this day, I was probably two and change, two, I mean two and a half years old or something. And my, my father had a very small but eclectic record collection. I mean, a mixture of like everything, man. I mean, James Brown, uh, Johnny Mathis, Here's a throwback name, Mario Lanza. Oh, oh wow. yeah, right. That's a throwback right. name. Uh, Mary McCabe, Motown, uh, everything. And the first record I remember hearing was Ahmad Jamal's uh, live version of Portiana. Yeah, Live of the Persian. Yeah, right. And uh, my mother tells me, or she t- would tell me, that I used to just sit there with the record player and watch the record go round and round and round, listen to that record, and I would put it. I learned, oh, wow. You know, I learned to put the record on repeat. But my father was, um, he was an athlete in high school. Uh, he played football and basketball. And, in Virginia, and, in Hampton? Yeah, in mm-hmm. Hampton. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, every Sunday it was the NFL, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my guy was Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so my parents tell me would tell me that, you know, that they bought me this uh, football suit, you know, when I was, you know, two, three years old. Right. And, and in those days, you know, uh, when the games would come on, you know, they would introduce the players, and they come out one at a time, and I would always stand with my helmet waiting to come out as Jim Brown. You know? <laughs> I come out of my bedroom running as Jim Brown. You know? so, so Jim Brown was my cat, man. You oh, know? wow. And, um, and they actually took me to see a couple of exhibition games when the Browns uh, played the Redskins in, in Norfolk, Virginia, at Farman Field mm-hmm. uh, back in the mid-'60s. So uh, then, of course, growing up around the corner from what was then Hampton Institute, Wow. You know, during the season, every Saturday I was there, you know, mm-hmm. and checking up both both the football game and the band. So, wow, yeah. you know, the band, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jim, Jim, the great Jim Brown. But did you play organized football? I did. I did. I played. I played organized football from the time I think from eight years old until I was fourteen, mm-hmm. and I had had notions of going to play high school ball. But what happened? I stopped growing, and the rest of my, my buddies kept growing. I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to get to this practice room and learn these scales. When did you start taking up music? Um, formerly when I was 12. 
Oh, um, okay. But, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to be a drummer when I was very young. Mm. Um, and here's the other thing with the music. In, in those days, starting in 1968, um, George Ween, who we all know, the impresario of the, of the Newport Jazz Festival, he started the Hampton Jazz Festival in 1968 at the oh, campus of okay. Hampton Institute because his wife had uh, connections in Hampton. I think she was from there, had relatives there. So a lot of the artists that he would present at Newport Festival, he would bring them down to Hampton. So my father took me to that festival every summer. So, man, I got to see everybody mm. there, man. From the time I was eight years old, it was pretty amazing. Uh, so people like um, Rossan Roland Kirk, Freddie Hubbard, hey. Stanley Turrentine. Uh, Atlantic Freddie. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and my favorites, uh, Eddie Harris and Les McCann. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so it was really, so I was getting exposed to all of that. So I guess I'll turn over you guys a minute. Uh, as I continue to dominate the conversation, uh, <laughs> what? But so, how did you come? How did you to finally gravitate toward the flute and then reeds? I mean, was that? Did you start off with piano and then go flute and reeds, or, or how, how did you? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, um, well, every what was really cool is that all the kids in my neighborhood at that time, the two things we did: play sports and play music. Mm-hmm. I mean, we played. You know, in the summertime, we played basketball all day long. That's right. You know, and then right. in the evenings we would get together. We had our garage bands, and we would play. You know, we rehearse, and then we would play the school dances and stuff. So just before I started playing, a friend of mine who lived down the street, who was two years older than me, he knew I wanted to play saxophone, and I hmm. didn't have one yet. So he started to give me some lessons. And uh, so by the time I went to school, went to summer band a year or two later, I already knew how to play a scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, so I just okay. kept going from there. And uh, so I picked up oboe and was playing drums and marching band. And I studied oboe, flute, and saxophone. And oh, oboe, too. Wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. Oboe flats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Right. Wow. Oboe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I stopped playing that after my first year in college, man, because uh, it's a very demanding instrument. You got to make reeds all the time. I mean, I love the instrument, man, but it's just too much upkeep, you know. And, it, and here's the other thing. There's no such thing as a mediocre oboe player, you know. Either, either you kill it or you just suck, you know. And you got to make it read. And you got to make it read, right. There's a lot of high maintenance. High maintenance. Remember, what's that, uh, uh, Yusef Latie right. on, yes. on the blue Yusef? Mechanic and McIntyre. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. man, my yeah. God. Oh, man, yeah. my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's uh, right. So just lastly, better information. I'm going to put you on the spot. So, you, you know Bunky Green? Oh, of course. The great Bunky Green. Yeah. So I'm in high school, you know, from Chicago, and so uh, I'm getting into getting into the music. Anyway, so he played. There's a group called the Soulful Strings. This, oh yeah, I remember. This, remember Soulful Strings, Richard, yeah, Richard, right. Richard Evans. Right. And so I bought all, you know, this is like I'm like in high school, man. And went as my high school prom, went to see the soul. Anyway, so there's this, I got this one album, which I still have. I got all my albums. So it was this jam called uh, Groovin' with a Soulful String. Oh, yeah. And there was a thing called, they did I'm Losing You. Uh-huh. You know, the temptation, I'm Losing right, You. Right, right. And man, Mikey Green played the fucking solo <laughs> on that. <laughs> I can tell, his, I can literally his thing, his thing, yeah, his, on the soprano sax, and I could literally, I'll play it today, and I'll literally know that thing note for note. Wow, it was man. such a fuck. It was a Ooh, tremendous, wow. tremendous. So anyway, I fell in love with the alto sax. Oh, I mean, man. with with the soprano sax. Yeah, I already had an alto. Oh, okay. Like when I was in eighth grade, because my father was a musician and all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. 
I never had the discipline. You know, my, my father played and you know, my, my brother's an opera singer, living a journey. I never had the discipline to read. Mm. I would always try to like play by it. So my question to you mm -hmm. is, so at my home now, I still got the soprano, I still got the alto, uh -huh. but I said each year, I said, you know what? I've got to learn how to read. I want to play these instruments. Yeah. So do you teach? Uh, <laughs> oh, of yeah, course. yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, How's we, he gonna say no? I'm on the spot now. No, no man, I, I look, I would be down to hang. I, I would, whatever I can show you, I'd love to show you. But, but here's the thing you really, I mean, just for the sheer enjoyment of playing, you really don't need to learn how to read, you know, quite honestly. Now, I, I, here's one of the reasons I say this because. The, of course, the music has a history of great musicians who didn't read. Mm -hmm. Errol Garner, mm -hmm. you know, and even today, Al, the great Al Foster, the yeah. drummer, right. you right. know, he doesn't read. And George Benson, And George Benson, yeah. right, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And these guys are geniuses, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to when I first started playing saxophone. The very first solo that I transcribed, of course, was the great saxophone solo uh, by Don Myrick on Sun Goddess. Mm. You know, Ooh. I mean, you know, back yeah. in the day, Ramsey Lewis, yes. and of course, Maurice White. And who didn't know that solo? Right. I mean, even if you didn't play saxophone, you knew that solo, right? Because it was on the radio every day. And so I was, I think I was in seventh grade and, um, or eighth grade. And, and um, I had started on an alto, but I had just gotten into the jazz band and my teacher, band director, put me on tenor. And so, you know, I was trying to learn how to play the tenor. And of course, this solo came out. So I'm like, man, I'm going to learn this solo. But at this time, I didn't know how to notate music, even mm. though I knew how to uh, read it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to notate it. So I sat down, like most of us do at any given point, right. and you learn, you learn it by ear, by rote. You learn it, you just keep learning, learning, learning. And what I did, instead of being able to write down the musical notes on manuscript paper, I wrote down the letter names like A, B, C, and I wrote arrows going up and down. You know, <laughs> okay. but I had the rhythms memorized. Okay. You know? yes. Yes. So I, you know, I didn't know how to really read then. I was learning by ear, and, and the, still, you gotta have those ears. And then Steve, later on, you kind of like, uh, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like kind of like right. clapping real slow. That, okay, on the and the two, there that's, is. That's, you know, right. that's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Transcribing. Yeah. So, so really, so really, if you have the ear for it and you have the love for it, you're probably gonna sound better than someone who like says, "Well, you know, I really want to learn how to play music, but I need to learn how to read." But they don't really have the connection to the music. You you'll probably end up sounding better if you have. The kind of connection you have, man, your ears, because you've been hearing this music all your life. Mm -hmm. So it's like a language to you. And that's, that's, that's what it, it's a language. You it's know? like, it's right. like sports almost. You know, people who have the feel for the game that's right. compared right. to right. studying it and trying to be all technical with it. That, exactly. Right. Absolutely. Right. Same right. thing. Yeah. Still, you know, my father used to always say, don't tell anybody you play anything unless you can read. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, yeah. and then, you know, he was tend to be like, that's it, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, so, right. but every time I, I leave, I leave the house, man. I'm like, I look at it. I, I play because he used to always say, sometimes, well, when you play, pick it on play, play, you'll feel better. And I think mm -hmm. I, I think of it sometimes. Just I said, you know, he, you, you know, sometimes things your parents say, maybe y'all go echo. Mm -hmm. And I remember right, he said that. Well, right. play sometimes you'll feel better. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. and then I would like pick it up, warm it up, you know, play. Um, and then it does make me feel better, but it, be, it would really be nice though if sometimes if I could like pick up some sheet music, right, and just play something. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, just look at it and say, okay, 
I'm I'm just gonna do this. Right. Yeah. I right. mean, no, right. that, no, that's cool to be able to do that. But here's the other thing: even when you look at a piece of music, you have to you're playing it with your own, you know, your own personality. Right. You know? I mean, so you're gonna put your thing on it. You're gonna interpret it. Well, Steve, you know, being being a musician myself, and and back in the day in high school, there's this one game, Houston Buffalo. In the '90s, I was in high school. Uh-huh. I was practicing, and it was, and I was a big Houston fan with Warren Moon and everything. Oh, yeah, like you right. know, like run and shoot the way they played the game. Right, right. And then throughout practicing and everything, I would turn it off. Be like, oh, we got this game. You know, it's thirty-five-three. It's all good. <laughs> then turn on the TV. Oh, it's thirty-five-seventeen. Yeah. I'm that. like, oh, okay, that, whatever. It's fine. It's garbage time. <laughs> then I turn it on. It's thirty-eight. 35, I'm like, what? Oh, now, what game was it when you were practicing, you know, all day and everything? What was the game for you that was oh, memorable man. that you were going back and forth musically and then, like, kind of like he had the game on or you turned it off and turned it back on? Oh, so, what was man. that for you? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a great question, man. Wow. <laughs> Boy, I had to dig deep for that. But I remember that one vividly. Oh, Lord. I think we all remember that oh, one. Oh, and yeah. they were going to the Super Bowl, too. And they, unbelievable. They were, and they were at that level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was an incredible game. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I was a big Warren Moon fan mm-hmm. at the time. A really huge it's fan. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I don't know, man. But, you know, I do remember the, um, the uh, of course, the Fire Slammer Jammer, uh, um, you know, against North Carolina State. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And I, I remember being, you know, being in my college dorm, watching that game and checking out some music. But, you know, I had a couple of roommates. But, so I was, I think I was listening to some music, but I kept coming back and forth, back and forth. And, man, you know, I, what I remember was that, you know, because State was up at the half. Right, right. You know, and I was like, what? Because I was like, everybody, I thought Fire Slammer Jam was just going to kill him. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so, but in the second half, when Houston made that run, I said, okay, well, they mm-hmm. got this. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, when it got down to the last couple of minutes, I said, uh-oh, I better just, like, pay attention to this. <laughs> and, you know, I went in the room with my butt. And, man, we were just, like, hooping and hollering. You know, but, yeah, same thing. You know, you just assume that, well, yeah, they got it. So, yeah. Nope. But that was that was epic game, man. And like the like the Buffalo Houston game, absolutely. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, no question. Yeah. On the on the music side, um, you said you you knew from a young age you wanted to play the sax. Mm-hmm. What wh- you know what drew you to the sax, mm-hmm. and what draws you to, to certain instruments like the intr- instruments you've picked up? What is it you you hear other people play them well, or what what is it that really draws you to a, to a particular instrument? The, well, the first thing that drew me to saxophone, well, I, <clears throat> when I was I don't know eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, the three records that I remember that really changed my, well, there was a few, but uh, one was Marvin Gaye, What's Going On. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that, and that really drew me into music. But what really made me want to play was the Cannonball Adderley Country Preacher record. Oh, wow. Because okay. yeah, uh, yep, yep. my father had that record, and then he had, of course, Swiss Movement, and he has Les McCann. Yep. And just seeing the photos of these cats right. on the album, man, I was like, man, that was <laughs> yes. so cool. That's great. <laughs> you know, yep. I said, I don't know what this is, but I love it, man. I love the way it sounds. And I used to play those records. <clears throat> then I started going out and buying records with, the, with my allowance. My, mm. You know, I cut the grass and... Of course, you could go right. to the department store in those days and buy an LP for two dollars. Right. Right. Yep. And then, um, and then also the great record, uh, Quincy Jones, uh, Walking Walk in, in Space. space. Oh, oh, man. oh yeah, you yeah, know, that, that's great. Yeah. 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 yeah, right. And of course, Freddie, yes. Freddie on that oh, with Freddie man. Hubbard, Woo. gracious, you know. Harmon. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then of course, what's your what's your favorite what's your favorite piece off that album? Of Walking in Space. Yeah. Oh man, the whole record. But I think mm-hmm. I think. Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, 
Love and Peace. And I just heard the original version, I think maybe a year ago from Crusaders. Yeah, and and so but that record, man, is is so everything. And that that became a model for me because Quincy was all inclusive musically, you know, he everything and everybody, you know. But uh but then what really got me into playing was when he my father took me to the festival and the same weekend I saw Ross on Roland Kirk and Eddie Harris Cannonball. I said, man, okay. <laughs> and I said, uh, I kept asking my parents for a saxophone. They're like, oh, man, you know, it's just a phase, son. It's just a phase, <laughs> it's just a phase. You know, you grew out of it. Yeah. And I kept bugging them. And here's the thing. Um, now, they, I was, I think, maybe 9 or 10 at that time. And we didn't have an instrumental band program in, in our elementary school. We didn't have it until we got it into what was known as junior high school, then middle school. Now, so what I did, my friend down the street who gave me some saxophone lessons, you know, I I, did, I couldn't practice because I didn't have a horn. So he gave me a mouthpiece. He said, man, take this spare mouthpiece and you can blow on it. And, I, and I'm like, well, but I need the horn. So I had this, <laughs> I had this snorkel, right, mm. that my mom had bought me, you know, so I could go to the, you know, beach and stuff. So I took the snorkel and I drilled holes in the snorkel oh, wow. and put the mouthpiece on it to oh, open wow. I could make a saxophone out of it. Wow. wow. <laughs> Did it work? You know, How did it sound? Actually, actually, I was able to get a few notes out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it still wasn't a real thing. Right. You know? So... So seventh grade, you shamed your parents into yeah, buying yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, oh, we got to get them one now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. So the following year, when summer band came around, um, I showed up at the at the school, and I picked the saxophone and uh, went to summer band every day. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. What was it? What type of sax did you get? Uh, alto. It was alto. I mean, but what was oh, the brand? brand? Was like a... It was a Buffet student model, uh, an Yvette Schaefer, uh, made by Buffet, French French model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the funny thing was. I, I got down there, I guess, um, maybe just a little bit late after most of the students had arrived. And and then, of course, they have all the horns laid out. And I'm seeing everybody pick these shiny new horns, you know. And uh, and all that was left was this sort of like, you know, half the lacquer was gone. It was an older yeah. horn. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I got this old dingy horn. Then I found out later it was a better horn than all the shiny yeah. horns. My teacher said, you got the best horn out of the bunch. Wow. So that was pretty cool, you know. What about the flute? How did you kind of pick up Jamal? How did you how did you come uh, uh, come up on the flute? Well, my my cousin who lived down the street, um, well, two people actually. Uh, one of the guys that went, uh, two of the guys that went to school. My cousin lived down the street from me. Uh, he played flute, and then the other guy uh, whose name was Cameron Moorhead, and Cameron, uh, Cameron's mother, uh, and she lived just down the street from me. They lived just down was uh, Consuela Moorhead, who was the sister of Bill Lee, the composer. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. Spike Lee's Spike son. Lee's dad, yeah, right, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. And Consuela was, she was, a, you know, she was an educator. She was teaching at Hampton Institute in Norfolk State. And, uh, but I, of course, this is way before I knew anything about Spike Lee or, or Bill Lee, right. even. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but her son uh, played, played flute, and we played in a band together. So uh, my cousin gave me some lessons, and uh, then later on in college, I picked up flute. Uh, you know, just by playing in big band and stuff. And then I became a flute major for two years in college. Oh, wow. Wait, now, where'd you go to uh, high school? Where'd you go to college? I went to high school at Phoebus High School. Uh, and um, at that time, the football team was not happening. But years later, they became state champions. <laughs> but uh, but I went to college in Richmond at Virginia Commonwealth University. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the difference between, you know, it was, I hear you talk about football. and So Dizzy's, Dizzy's uh, autobiography, but to be or not to buy, he right. talks about he was a football player. 
Mm-hmm. And finally, the coach told him, said, Gillespie, <laughs> he told him, you know, what happens if you get hit in the mouth or something like that? He, made, he said, you have to ch- make a choice right, right. between this damn football thing <laughs> and music. Because, you know, Dizzy was into football. But the coach said, Gillespie, you got to make a choice, man. <laughs> right. you know, it must not have been that good. If the coach telling you, uh, you got to make a choice, Dizzy. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was a, foot, if it was a right. coach or the band, but somebody, right. Right. I guess, told him with, who was a wiser figure right. than Dizzy. Yeah, right. said, listen, yeah. man, you up here fooling around in this stuff, man. Is it really, <laughs> is it really worth it? Go be who, a legend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Who did you grow? What team did you grow up? Um, uh, oh well, we're gonna take a quick break. Okay. When we come back, we're gonna ask you a Desert Isle question. I do these, I do these Desert Isle listening sets. Oh yeah. Nabate yeah. was actually invited to one, but he was late for it, so he couldn't come. Oh, well, <laughs> oh I may have been busy. I don't know. You know. No, you were late. <laughs> in fact, in, in fact, it was Ron Car. Well, anyway. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't, you, you I told don't remember? You I, was gonna be, I told you I was going to, like, what? I had something going on and well, I wasn't sure. It was, like, it was, oh, man, no, don't it oh. was. Mr. Carter, forgive me, forgive me. <laughs> no. So, Ron, I didn't realize this. I, I didn't realize that about Ron. You know, Ron Carter was a friend. He was the enforcer. He was a sergeant of, of Miles' band. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. He was right, in charge right. of discipline. Yeah, he was strong boss. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And looked over Tony. Looked yeah. over Tony. So yeah. Tony. when that thing yeah, happened yeah. with you, it was like the door was slammed shut. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, was like, I don't remember that, though. Wait, wait. wait anyway, we'll take that. a break. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break when we come back. But what I was telling you, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but it's all good. But so I give these desert eye listening Listening yeah, sets. Yeah, cool. And, yeah. The, and the, the, we're on Desert Isle 19 now. Uh, and the idea is you're, you're being exiled to a desert isle. Okay. And you could only bring three pieces of music. What three would those pieces be? Mm. And so that was the one. But every year we have a different theme. Okay. So the, the, the theme coming up is soul, uh, um, is, um, uh, what's it called? Desert Isle 19. Uh, Something to do with food, right? Oh, food for thought. Thank you. Food for thought. thought. Okay. So I did food for thought. It can either be a piece of music in which music, I mean, food is prominent, or it could just be a piece of music that offers food for thought. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, you're going to give us maybe two pieces of music, but the three pieces of music you would take to a desert isle. Okay. All right. right. When we come come back, the great Steve Wilson. We'll be back in a couple seconds. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 million slaves, the rise, fall, and redemption of the black athlete, by the one and only William C. Roden, an absolute must-read. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on Sports for your free audiobook. Just played with Ron, Ron last week. Played with Ron. Yeah, at the big with the big band. Yeah. yeah. Who's who's the trumpet section in that? Freddie, uh, right? Freddie was in Freddie there? Freddie Hendrix, yeah, Freddie Hendrix. Uh, was, was he playing uh, lead or? Uh no, actually John Owens. Okay, John Owens. Yeah. John Owens playing lead. Uh, John John uh, Chidoba. Uh-huh. Uh Wayne. Uh, no, uh, Harris. Bruce Harris. Oh, Bruce Harris. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, damn, who else was on there? I forget. 
because they subbed it out a couple of nights. Okay. I forget who the oh and oh and Brandon. Oh Brandon and, Lee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Cool. We're back. We're going to let you uh, eavesdrop on this conversation. We'll, we'll just <laughs> let it flow. Always Capella here, musicians, talk, trade. Anyway, we're back. Uh, wrote, uh, Bill wrote no sports with uh, Jamal Murphy, Nabate Owls, and the great Steve Wilson. Well, before we left, I put you on the spot. Well, first of all, I asked you to give me lessons. You kind of said, well, <laughs> well, you don't really need lessons. <laughs> you don't no, really no, need we, to read. No, we can hang. We can definitely hang. <laughs> we can do that. But... Uh, but I, I'd ask you about Desert. I know you, you've been listening to a whole bunch of music, you know, for like the last three decades or so. But if you were being exiled, and that kind of is relevant to the point of time we are now, because who knows when we will decide to, like, get up out of here. Right. What three pieces of music, if you're leaving suddenly, and you could only take, like, like but three pieces of music with you, what, mm-hmm. would, you, what would you take? Uh... I think at the top of that list would be Nancy Wilson's record, Lush Life. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, from 1966, mm. Capitol Records. Mm. That, that's, I think, her her best recording. Uh, and just a little story about that. Uh, my father, that was one of my father's records, but I didn't really, really fall in love with it until I was in college and I was taking, you know, studying and arranging. And uh, and as happened to be one of the records I'd taken to school with me, and I started listening to it, I went, "Oh my God, man, this is an incredibly beautiful record." And uh, and I got to know that record inside out. Mm. And then some years ago, I guess about eight nine years ago, I was doing a session with Diane Reeves, and I'd asked her if she had ever heard that record. And at the time, she didn't. And then uh, we ended up doing a session with George Duke a couple of years later, and she she actually had taken a couple of tunes from the record and and rearrange it to put it on another recording. So, um, and then I got a friend of mine with the Basie Band, they did a concert with her, so I got him to uh, uh, get an autograph for me on the CD, you know, so she, <laughs> I got her autograph. So that record was number one. Then I think um, Duke Ellington, Great Paris Concert, 1963. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Because Johnny Hodges is my favorite saxophone right, yes. of all time. My oh. favorite sound on the sax. Yeah, you, yeah. I mentioned the other day, like on, on our last podcast. Yeah. 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 Oh, Hodges. So, oh. so, yeah, Johnny Hodges. And his actually, his biography just came out. This oh, year, really? Finally. Yeah. Oh, finally. I yeah. loved it. It's yeah, been a long time coming. Uh, I forget the name, but the, the writer's name is uh, Cornelius... Chapman, oh, wow. ironically, because John Hodges' middle name was Cornelius. But he's a wow. writer from Boston and uh, did some really in-depth research on it, and it was published, I think, early this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, third, oh, boy, now that's a tough one. But I'd have to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, what's going on Marvin Gaye? Mm. Um, mm, I agree. Because yeah. that, that record is relevant, just as relevant now. Today right. in 2019, almost, almost 50 years later. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Which, which is, yeah. you know, I was thinking about that about this music. By any great music, I was listening to. Oh, so I'm driving up to Boston uh, for the uh, Harvard Howard game. Mm. Howard got destroyed. Yeah, what, what was the score? <laughs> huh? Was the score? I was like 62-14. Yeah, yeah. come on, Howard. <laughs> but I left. I went up there. I was doing something. I left when it was like seven. It was seven three. But I knew the shit was getting ready to get out of hand. <laughs> and I did not, I went to Morgan. Right. And still, I still am of the age where whenever black folks do something really good, I feel good collectively. Right. But right. when they get embarrassed, did all the black people I feel, leave? I feel bad. No, 
<laughs> no, they stayed in. They 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 stayed in. Good it out. I don't know if I can stand it, it, being Harvard and and, and, and watch like, that happen. Oh man, it's it's all like, places. It was, it was it's awful. Like, it's like Spike Lee and Mo Better Blues, you know, covering like right. kind of hiding right. out from the from the from the sharks. Right. You know, and all, right. and all the, the black Harvard students, they they made such a big deal out of it because oh, they had, oh we gonna have all these black folks on campus and. Howard coming on campus and all this blackness coming in. The Howard band <laughs> right. kind of came in, you know, with like with the sisters, with like kind of like the, you know, scantily, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 scantily clad at Harvard. No, 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 oh, no, no, Howard. Oh, the Howard. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's and like, they came, you know, yeah, the black band. They made the entrance, right, right, and you know, Harvard, because they feel they could do, they could make a parody of everything. So they had this little band with like right. eighteen people, because you know, when you were that kind of thing, you don't. You could you could act, you could be bush league because you said we are so fucking whatever that we could be bush league and we know we're being bush league because we're doing it on purpose. Right. You know? right, right. Right. So, but anyway, but even with that, the Howard band came and just was completely blowing them out. And, so, and yeah. these ain't even the best one. Right. right. <laughs> these ain't even the best right. black college band. But anyway, right. but I left. But anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but going on the way up, I was uh, you know playing stuff, driving up. So for some reason I had my in my CD thing I had the uh, Ellington uh, uh, live in Newport. Oh man! With, with a great yeah. uh, uh, Paul Gonzalez thing, yeah, and it's so funny, course. man, that that uh, I could play that. I don't play all the time, but my father. I remember my father who passed away. He was ninety four. Wow! But I remember my dad would call me once, and you know sometimes you just around the house. And you just put on, you just want to hear a piece of music. Mm -hmm. And I remember he called me. And he said, yeah, you know, I was just playing that, uh, that Ellington again, you know, with uh, Gonzalez, you yeah, know. Yeah, and so yeah. I played it. And, man, it was like, you know, sometimes you play a piece of music and it's just the right, it's fresh all over again. And, right. and, 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 and this kind of gets back to the thing about the music, the music lives. Mm, because absolutely. I'm listening to that. And you're right there. You're right there in like 1955. It's, right. it's, it's like it's just as alive. And I remember, you know, the very end. Yeah. After Cat Anderson right. takes right. him out, and then you know, and I'm like, listen to the rhythm section. Cause I'm thinking these cats had they were, had not missed anything. <laughs> That's right. and they were just right. steadily. Right. And then at the very end, it was like. Right. And then the crowd just go, and I'm oh, driving, and I'm saying, whoa, <laughs> that shit was like, and, yes. but I remember how my sister, my late sister, sometimes we play that, and she'd be in the kitchen, like she danced to it, you know, yeah. it, you know, and for some reason, it was like I'm an, an emotional thing, because you, yeah. it invokes all these memories, my father, right. my sister, you know, Gonzalez, I remember Duke has talked about when Gonzalez, you know, right. Gonzalez said right. that, you know, uh, he came through that. I mean, he came through because they needed it. You yeah, know, the Ellington band needed yeah. a boost. That's right. And Gonzalez came through. That's right. You know, so I mean, just all those kind of things. But when you're talking about the, just how alive it is, it's like Marvin Gaye. Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah. 50 years, but you could listen to it. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking about the, the great bass player. Um, oh, James James. Oh, man, James James. Yeah, yeah, Whew. yeah. You know, yeah, man, he he was, he was one of a kind, and and that recording also. I mean, that Newport is another one of my favorites, and I still to this day, you know, I listen. Here's the thing: if I'm listening to music, and you know, you listen to variety of music, 
I, can, I always have to be careful. I have to put on Ellington last because I'll never make it to anything else mm. if I put on Ellington. Right, 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 right. No matter what it is because it just brings you in so deep. And, you know, Ellington was trained as an artist, as a painter, you know, mm. he had, a, yes. had a, a, a scholarship to the Pratt Institute. Right. So his compositions and arranging, you know, it's like an artist. You you know, and again, there was no, this was well long before jazz education and techniques and arranging and all of that. Man, he completely did it from scratch. He invented a whole new way of arranging, you know, and uh, a whole new sound. And still to this day, you know, we listen to Ellington, like the sounds in that Newport record and all those great soloists. And that part of the secret was he wrote for the individuals mm, yeah. in the band. Right. He didn't just write these stock arrangements, these stock parts. He wrote for each individual right. voice to get a unique combination. So like Tricky Sam Nanton, mm. he only had a certain number of notes that he could execute with that plunger and the mute on the horn, it was something like seven or eight notes. Mm -hmm. And Duke always figured out a way to mm -hmm. write for those seven or eight notes. It's, it's unbelievable. Right. So, you know, you listen to that record. And, I, man, even when I listen to it, the swing is so intense it brings me to tears every yeah. time I listen to it. Man, mm -hmm. Just the, the sheer joy of that swing is just mm -hmm. incredible, you know. And a I, I, uh, quick anecdote about that. I, I had the pleasure and the honor of playing with the great Britt Woodman, oh, wow. the trombonist oh, who was in yes. that band. Wow. And Britt told me that uh, he had re he had joined the band about a year prior to that. He and he and Juan Tizal with, mm. with 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 Harry James. You know, mm. Tizal had been with Ellington previously, left for a while, and so Duke, you know, invited them to come to the band. Said, you know, I'd love for you guys to join the band, and so they took the offer. So they went to Harry James, and he said, Harry, you know, man, uh, we got to tell you, man, it's been great, but Duke has offered us to come with the band, and we're going to take the offer. Mm -hmm. And he, and he said, Harry James looked at him and said, oh, guys, that's just great. It's just one thing. Can you take me with you? Yeah, man. But, but, uh, but, 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 Britt, but Britt told me at that Newport gig that, you know, when he first got on the band, you know, Britt was kind of, he was kind of energetic. So when he first got on the band, he would sort of start clapping his hands a bit when the band was really grooving, you know, and, Sam Woody, I was back there hitting it, Jimmy Woody, and right. mm -hmm. he started clapping his hand, and he would sit behind Johnny Hodges. Mm. And Johnny Hodges, you know, among his many uh, nicknames, his name was Stoneface, because he never smiled. <laughs> he always looked like he was mad. And he used to turn around to Brit and say, you know, we don't clap our hands in this band. We don't do that. So he said on the, on the Newport gig, you know, during, because during, uh, I was the solo, man, the band was popping and everyone was going crazy. And he looked down and he saw Johnny Hodges clapping his hand. <laughs> so he tapped Hodges and said, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny gave him the stone yeah, face, right? Yeah, I wanted to ask you, you moved to New York in the 80s. 87, yeah. 87, yes. And that... At that time, there were so many places to play. Oh yeah, you know, and that was that was a little that was a little bit before I started to get into the music in the early early nineties, the mid nineties. You know, mm -hmm. talk about how electric that scene was, and all the great saxophonists oh, that man. you came up with at that time as well, wow. and and the opportunities that you found for yourself to play in the music and everything like that in the late eighties yeah. in New York City. That that was a great time, man, because uh, I, I came came here. I, I had been living in Richmond for a few years and very busy there as a musician, but I knew the next step 
I said, man, if I'm going to get any better, I got to go to New York because that's where all the heroes are. And all these cats I've been listening to on the recordings, I said, man, I got to go be with these guys in live. So, but anyway, when I came here, it was the height of the Young Lions mm-hmm. movement, yeah. you know, because of Wynton Marcellus's influence and a lot of cats were coming from New Orleans and, and a lot of cats were coming from different schools. But I came here to primarily hear the older guys. But you also had, had the younger guys too, man. So I could go out and see a hang with Greg Osby or Steve mm-hmm. Coleman mm-hmm. and Branford and Kenny mm-hmm. Garrett. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, wow. You know, and then, but then the same night I could go down the street, I could see, you know, Clifford Jordan. Uh, I got to see Charlie Rouse uh, a bit before he checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I got to play in Clifford Jordan's big band. Oh, um, wow. When he and Dizzy Reese were co-leading the big band at at uh, Condon's down on Irving Place, oh, Irving Plaza, oh, so I got to play in that. And who band. did who did the arrangements for the most? Uh, was it? It was Dizzy uh, did some. I'm sure. Dizzy, yeah, Dizzy did some. I think a couple, a couple. Clifford did a few. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and then Don, I think, um, uh, who was it? Wait a minute. Uh, who else was in the band? I forget, I forget now, but but they had they had uh, several cats coming and arranging, mm-hmm. uh, but then I also started playing in the American Jazz Orchestra, mm-hmm. which was a repertory band at that time led by John Lewis, and and I got to play second alto beside one of my heroes, Jerry Dodge, playing oh, lead wow, alto. Yeah, yes. yeah, and then uh, and I started subbing in the Vanguard band, so that's where I got to play beside Dick Oates, mm-hmm. and Ted yeah. Nash, and. Yeah. and and then, you know, beside Joe Lovano before he became a big star. Right, right. Um, so really, man, it was a combination of the older cats and the younger cats. So for me, it was the perfect storm because I could get, you know, all of the mentorship and foundation that I've been looking for from the older guys. Mm-hmm. And then hear the new cats coming up, you know, with their thing. So I felt man, very blessed because I got the best of both worlds, you know, mm-hmm. and and like you said, there were jam sessions, so, I mean, boy, Justin Robinson was hitting it real hard, Woo. With, you That's know, right. he was with only, the Harper brothers. And he was only like 18, oh, 19. Man, boy, yeah, he right. scared the hell out of me when I first heard him. I said, man, I may have to go back to Virginia. I'm sure he was feeling the same, oh. you know, when he heard you, you know. But, so, well, yeah, yeah. well, he, he was very he was very nice to me, man, because yeah. he, he lit me up on a couple of jam sessions. Mm. <laughs> but that's why you come to New York. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to get your butt kicked. That's part of the, that's part of the you know, that's the rite of passage. You got to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but you're right. There was so many sessions, so many clubs. Oh, man. You know, Bradley's was, was oh, gone. Oh, and dude. so when I finally got to get into Bradley's, and boy, everyone was at Bradley's. Yes, right. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was a beautiful scene, man. It really was. Mm. Yeah. How is this? Well, a couple of things. I do want to talk some sports. Uh, <laughs> but well, well, two things. Why Hodges, not Bird? In other words, and my father had the same thing. My father but mm. he, he was a Johnny Hodges guy. And, of course, I love Johnny Hodges. You know, the, remember the last, the, the last thing he recorded, uh, Blues for New Orleans? Oh, yeah, okay. And... Uh, uh, so, but 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 why you? I mean, why why Hodges and not not Bird? Well, of course, Bird is up there too. We you know being out size for Charlie Parker. Yeah, can't, can't, you can't get around Bird because he really altered the language that we all play. We all play his DNA, right. and he raised the level of no one had played alto saxophone like that um, before he you know arrived. Mm-hmm. But I, I discovered Hodges when I my first year in college. 
and when, in the big band. And I actually played baritone saxophone my first year. So I was actually playing all the Harry Carney parts. Um, and, but, but because I was a freshman and, and you know, um, that, and the guys were older and better than me at that time. So, but I wanted to be in that band because our band director, man, he was playing a lot of, like, old Duke Ellington and some Thad Jones and, and Gil Evans. Yeah. I mean, he was playing the real stuff. And we had all these great cats coming through. But um, but that's when I discovered Johnny Hodges, and I said, "Oh man, now this sound, this is the sound that really grabs me." I mean, and of course, there's many cats that I loved at that time. You know, Gary Bartz, and Jackie mm. McLean, and mm. all all of them. Yeah. But that sound really just went straight to my soul, mm. and, and to me, it's it's one of the purest sounds, not just of alto saxophone, but one of the purest voices, uh, instrumental voices ever, that, that to me has ever been produced. Mm. The way he played was just so masterful and so pure. It's almost, it's beyond, it's like Yo-Yo Ma on the cello. It's mm. beyond the instrument. Mm. It's beyond the instrument. It, the instrument is simply a vessel. Mm. And not that Bird didn't have that too, but but Hodges had really, I think, perfected the sound of the alto saxophone mm. like no one else ever had. And it was, I think, really, uh, I mean, of course, he was a protege of, of Sidney Bechet, mm. but Sidney Bechet was a soprano player. And, and Hodges was an amazing soprano player as well, but I, I think he had just taken... Everything that he had heard, and he just put it into something very unique, and the sound was just as pure as honey, man. So, and it's very hard to do that. It's very hard to do that sound. But, but I started checking him out when I got to play lead alto in the band. After that year, man, it was, I was, I was boy, I was up all up in Hodges, you know. Mm. Did you and, meet him? Ever meet Hodges? No, no, no. I mean, he had passed, he had passed away. Yeah, he had passed away in the early seventies. Right. But I did get to play one of his instruments recently. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, wow. My tech over at Yamaha got to got to overhaul one of his custom made horns a few years ago. A horn that Frank West owned because Frank uh, owned Johnny Hodges, one of his horns when when uh, Hodges passed away, and he overhauled the horn. So when I was there one day, he said, "Hey, man, I want you to play this horn. I want you to?" Try. I said, "Oh my God!" You know. And, uh, and it was very difficult to play because the mechanics on it are very different. It's a custom-made horn. Mm -hmm. But the sound, you know, the sound is there. Of course, I, I, I couldn't get high to sound, but, yeah. but you can see where this horn facilitated what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, why, and why the alto instead of the ten? I mean, the ten obviously is a... Is the that's like being the point guard, you know? Right. Remember my, my brothers, you know, you like being a point guard or a uh, <laughs> right, 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 or a hundred meter sprinter or something like that's that. That's right. Yeah. But why, why, why the the alto? Well, you know, the funny thing is, I really wanted to be a tenor player for a long time, and I actually, the thing was, I never owned a tenor. I had a friend who lent me a tenor for a long time and ended up doing some gigs on it, but I never owned a tenor. So even when I was just playing alto for a while, I was playing with a more of a tenor concept. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of like Gary Bartz does, you know. But yeah, not until yeah. I began to play more lead alto in big bands that I really developed, you know, an alto sound, an alto concept. And and I'm telling you the truth, man, I, uh, the horn is most natural for me is soprano. Mm. But the alto is the most difficult to master of all the saxophones. Why is that? Well, it's because the range of the instrument, it's a, it's a difficult range because it's either too high or too low for most melodies. And the demand of it technically with intonation specific, the intonation is really hard to master. 
And every alto player I've talked to, we always say the same thing, man. It's like, boy, that alto is kicking my ass today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I tell people every time I take the alto, take the horn out of the case, the alto has me in a headlock. It says, okay, let's see how you're gonna get in this headlock today. You know? uh, it's, yeah. it's fine, because you know, so I was playing the alto, I mean, learn trying, you know, since I was like eighth grade or something, you know. Yeah. And I remember for, for the longest time, I did it because I did lessons and my father, you know, and all that. So finally. I finally bought the soprano. And it's so funny, this is mm -hmm. like a little story about self self denial. So I'd always loved since the Bucky Green thing, I'd always loved my sister told me about Sidney Bechet and I loved the soprano, I loved it. Right. But I went to the the, the the alto and then when I was in Baltimore, I was the jazz quote unquote critic at the Baltimore Sun. Mm. I went, I got a trumpet, then I bought a flute, because I I was the high side. So finally, some told me said, Bill, you don't look why don't you buy a fucking soprano? Uh -huh, That's uh -huh. what you want. Right, right. You know? right. But anyway, but but after playing the soprano, at least playing at it, all of a sudden I had this new appreciation for the alto. Mm. I said, oh, now I kind of now I kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's like uh it's like now I see it's almost like a, what do you call it? A rapier. Right, right, right. It's like, <laughs> it's like Zorro. Is it? You know? I said, oh now, now I get it. That's, you it. Know? That's it, man. Yeah. Yeah, the alto's an elusive animal, man. As a matter of fact, uh some, some uh years ago when I was playing in Richmond, and there was this uh drummer. He's uh, really he was a really great drummer, but he had kind of a personality, you know. <laughs> and I know I never forget this. He says we won a gig one time. I think it was a wedding gig or something. First time I played with him, and he looked at me and says, man, you know, I really hate the alto. And I was like, damn, do I sound that bad? <laughs> you know? He said, but no, you, you play it kind of good, but I really hate the alto. Nothing personal. Like, yeah, right. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll take that under advisement. You know? That's right. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's a great, great Steve Wilson, master of... Flutist or flautist? It depends on who you talk to. You, you, the, the, the more classical term, the town term is flautist. Well, let's say flutist. We, we, yeah, but we say flutist. Flutist. I mean, you know, yeah, tremendous you know, alto, alto. <laughs> there's no equivocate about alto saxophone. Um, we got like 10 more minutes. Uh, but, um, you know, the big news uh, as of now is like China. The NBA has gotten itself embroiled mm. in China. Mm. You know, you don't screw, man. It's like, you know, you get into some stuff. So the, the issue basically is the NBA is over there. And, of course, you know, China has been, you know, in Hong Kong, there have been protesters in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Young people, for the most part, talking about freedom and all that. Right. So, of course, the government has been kind of crushing them, you know, crushing them, basically. Mm -hmm. And so this puts – so, but, you know, and, of course, you're the NBA. And actually, people like Stephen Marbury, who's a friend of the show, all these NBA guys, including LeBron, have all these big, deep sh contracts – with China, manufacturing deals, right. dealing with shoes shoe and deals. shoe deals and NBA. all that. All, and the NBA is over to China and all that. And, you know, that's the thing, man. It's okay to talk about, you know, being, we're going to be global, global, but the globalism, is it works both ways. Right. We've been just dealing with the good stuff, but when you climb in bed with people, you take in all, you, you not right. only you taking the good stuff, <laughs> you taking all that baggage that's right. that yeah. comes with it. That's right. Including when they like brutalizing people. Mm -hmm. that's right. So now the NBA is kind of touched as this league of enlightenment and, you know, you can say whatever you want. We, well, we get yeah, ready it started Scottie, with Daryl Morey. Scotty yeah. Stern, you know, we, we want to get rid of Scotty Sterling and all that, mm -hmm. which they wanted to get rid of Scotty Sterling anyway. Right. You know, the, so everything was, you could, you could, 
you could build yourself as this thing of enlightenment, but there are really no stakes. But Bill, that, yeah, you you allowed to talk about this? I know ESPN didn't want uh, people talking about uh, China. You sure? You still there, Bill? Bill, I, th I think he left the room. <laughs> so we're going to take another break. When we come back, no, we're going to talk about Cinderella. <laughs> but that's that's an issue too, right? So ESPN's involved, the NBA's involved, uh, all the you know the shoe the shoe companies are involved, and it's like a question of you know do you take the money or are you still allowed the free speech? I like what Adam Silver. I mean, at first Adam Silver. He had, you know, semi-admonished Maury. His, his, his knee-jerk, his first reaction. Right. The first mm -hmm. NBA reaction was right. to say, you know, we don't, you know, right. we don't, we don't, he doesn't speak for the NBA. Right. But when you look at where where uh, where he is now in the NBA stance now, they really haven't apologized for it. And there's, and he and and now he's saying, um, you know, we're going to support people, you know, the people in, involved in this league. We're going to allow them to speak their minds right. pretty much. He doubled down. Right. He doubled down. Mm -hmm. But, um, but Daryl Morey, uh, uh, who's, you know, a musician, actually, a trombone player. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he wrote a musical last year, you huh. know, like he actually knows the music and stuff. But, but um, I, I, before we have you speak on it, Steve, like, like I, I feel that the timing was wrong for him to talk, you know, because mm -hmm. it puts players, the players, the Nets, and the Lakers. If I was a Laker on net, I would have responded to him on Twitter like, listen, you're not here with us. Mm -hmm. So we have mm -hmm. to deal with this. And that, what, like, but, but and it, I'm just saying, I understand it, what he's saying. Is the timing ever right? I no, mean, no, no. Students no, are over there getting crushed. No, no, I understand. I understand that. But at the end of the day, though, like, you know, you can say during the regular season. You know, but, when but, no but, one's out there. But during there, the regular you know season, I mean? so. it's not, it's, it's past. No, I, I'm, you got to strike while, I'm just, while, I'm, it's, while you're there. You got this. And, and then, but, 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 but I'm, the NBA knew what it was getting into. Yeah, you, yeah. They're having right. these. But the NBA could have pulled out. They could have said, you know what? We don't even want to go. But, that, but, that, but that's what I mean. But I'm saying, like, like the, I'm, I'm thinking about the players that are there. You know, like themselves that are there and stuff, and I feel like like the NBA shouldn't even have them there anyway. You know, if if everything's mm -hmm. getting canceled and they're removing like advertisements and everything, the NBA should have them go back home seriously and play the games uh, like or the Staples Center or or Barclays. Yeah, or so what do you say? Yeah. I mean, so, so 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 you got a group? Would you would you take your group if you you know offered to go to China to play? You know, and and China is really if, in fact. Uh, I I got a notice, a letter from a publisher, from my publisher who, who, who published Forty Million Dollar Slaves, mm -hmm. and they got they were connected by a Chinese publisher, who wanted to publish, and and, and, and translate Forty Million Dollar Slaves in China, wow. and wow. so my first response was probably like Jay Z or something like, oh, billions of people, <laughs> billions of people, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I started thinking about it. I said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, why do they want to do that? Why mm -hmm. do they want to publish 40 million slaves? Okay. But then secondly, do I even want to do business? I mean, until I figure out why this is, and you see these things every on the nightly news, yeah. of them like, then, uh, uh, you know, I said, well, you know what? Why don't we, let's not do yes right yeah. now. Let's, let's, let me take this long view, figure out, what are all the? Because I don't want to contribute to any type of oppression. Because what did Dr. King say? Oppression anywhere, anywhere right. is oppression everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. right. Well, there's. I think there's two sides to it, though. And and I, I certainly, I because I take, you know, part of that same stance. Now I went to China last year for the first time. 
uh, because they, you know, jazz is a growing industry in China. Uh, amazingly enough, Macau though Macau. Uh, well, Macau, but I went to I went to in uh, in, in yeah, I went to Shanghai. We did that tour yeah. together. We did the Macau yeah. joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's right. a Blue Note in Beijing. Okay, okay. So I played. Oh, I wow. took. Yeah, I, I had a band at the Blue Note in Beijing, and there's a club in Shanghai called Jay Z Jazz Club, and now mm. Jazz at Lincoln Center has a, a club in, exactly. in Shanghai also. Mm. But my experience was <laughs> that I mean it's very interesting because you could see where there were people who were hearing this music for the first time and really finding out about it. Now, honestly, and of course, this is before, you know, the protests and stuff. I went to Hong Kong many years ago before, you know, the deal was supposed to go back to China. But uh, I, would, I would love to go back, not so much as, as, as a capitalist to make money, but but almost as like like he would for Cuba to go you know for a cultural exchange because you can see where our music touches people yeah. mm-hmm. you know it touches people and um and people who are general, generally and genuinely interested in it and so and I had an interpreter and I was trying to get I was working at this camp uh with all these saxophone young saxophonists and I was trying to get them to loosen up and understand what rhythm and you know what African rhythm is about and African American rhythm. And it took me about two days for them to open up because their mindset is, you know, like, well, you know, you can't you can't be free. You can't do but so mm. through our music, they're really learning the sound of freedom. Mm. We are spreading the sound of freedom. Let me shut that of shit individual down expression. They get, yeah, they get, yeah, they would. But they it, would. It, yeah, but yeah. but 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 we're planting seeds. Right. We're planting seeds. So even if we only get to go there once, we're planting seeds, you know, of, yeah. of that sound of freedom. And particularly because of the African American experience. Yes, right. right. And, well, and that's very profound, right? Right. And you're and you're providing something for them and, and they're providing something for you. It goes it goes both ways. Like the right. NBA situation, you know, both sides have something to offer. Yeah. Uh, so in my you know, my opinion, you know, China is getting a benefit from the NBA, from bringing all these stars over there, from from introducing the game at such a high level there, to 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 where they now can develop players at that same level. So there's some there's going to be something that comes with it. You yeah, know, just like yeah. we, just like to a certain extent, uh, we have to accept where they are right now, but they have to accept where, that we allow people to speak their minds here. Mm-hmm. And I think you know I think this is such a tremendous learning. Lesson and I, for all them cats over there, because I think a lot of them guys. I mean, I think we talk about LeBron, but I mean, but the majority of these guys in the NBA, you know, good guy, but I think are really in a silo. Yeah, really in yeah. a silo. Yeah. yeah, you know, really kind of self-centered. Right. And I mean, I think some of that just goes with the you know, you, but it's really self-centered. And as other owners. Yeah. Well, the they owners, it's like too. the people on the plantation versus the owners of the plantation. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, the, yeah. the people on the plantation more in the silo because you like, the fuck, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> you do it here, right, you know. Right, we going right. to escape or whatever, you know. But I think that now being over there, this is real stuff. It is. This is real, real live stuff. You're yeah. in this place, and whether you got your shoe contract uh, and your shoe deal and all that, now you now you connected out at what cost, at what yeah, price. Yeah. And then you really have to understand... What is the relationship between China and Hong Kong? What's the story? Right, what's right. the what's the issue here? Yeah. Right, right. And yeah. then the government, if you look at the the language, you know, it's a very stern language, That's right. chastising the NBA for deviating. Right. So well, wait a minute, 
It's like, you down with us. If you down with us, you can't be down with that. And I think that they said, what? I mean, they canceled the Rockets yeah. fast. Yeah. They, start, now, they started, I, they, they, they take, over even the, as we M speak, yeah. they're taking down the posters and all that. And to, to Silver's credit, because, you know, he's in a very, it's a you're going to dribble and shoot. Yeah, right. Everybody's no. watching. And no, coming from I, the NBA, who was supposed to be this, this, you know, I hate the term, but woke, right. woke league, right? You know, and look, yeah, oh, you, right. you know, you take this stand against, right. uh, you yeah, know, transgender right. bathroom issues, right. but will you take a stand here where right. where there's money involved? Right. And, and right. you're right. I mean, and, look, and why did. are you? And here? they did. You well, know, they did. So, yeah, I, I think so you're after support, the fact, the support after you know? they brought them there, and they brought knowing they brought them there, knowing that there was like all hell breaking loose in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, now it would be interesting if they said, the NBA said, you know what? Okay, you cancel a game. We're going to play in Hong Kong. If, if yeah, you want to take, if you want to take it all the way out, yeah, we'll go that, to Hong Kong. Whoa. That would really make We'll play there. <laughs> yeah. That you know, really now let's, yeah. and you know what? You're right, Steve. You cancel us. At the end of the day, we're the NBA. You well, know, we didn't, we get ready to start a league in, in Africa. Yeah, they, see, we they, don't, they you do know, it. you, fine. It's going to hurt you, particularly at a time when, when you're when the, when the, you look at their trade stuff, I mean things are kind of starting to tail off yeah. a little bit. So okay, we're a big economic engine. We're, it's we're playing games in India. Yeah, we yeah. playing games in India. This is a global sport, so right, right. you don't want we'll we'll take it where, we'll, we'll take else, it here. You know? so, so so I think that for for guys, you know, all the guys who are there in the NBA, hopefully they will come back here, totally even more woke, and yeah, and and, yeah. and 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 they'll get the global implications, in other words, global oppression. Put yourself in a larger context by global oppression and how you said, Steve, so brilliantly that our music mm. represents free. I mean, my first trip overseas was, I was a road manager for Billy Harper, for the Billy Harper. Oh, wow. Quintet. Oh, another one of my heroes. Yeah, and Harper is mine, too. <laughs> Harper is mine, too. Yeah, and we man, went Capra to... Black. Oh, Capra Black. And, and, <laughs> and so we went to... We went to uh, and what was amazing about that trip, we would turn, guys, people would come up. Like, we, in, we went to Warsaw mm. at the time when like Valencia mm -hmm. was doing that whole revolution, oh, yeah. his party. And, and they saw the quintet and black music as this whole going in the flow of liberation and wow. freedom and all that stuff, how wonderful it was. And cats, remember, we landed at the airport, and cats were coming up with Billy Harper albums to oh, sign. Oh, man, that's amazing. Well, we're over here, it's like, you know, he'd be walking somewhere, and people are like, <laughs> right, like, no, right, no, right, right. know who exactly. he is. You know, the cast coming there, yeah. you know, right, right. and I'm like, wow, man, this is like really deep. Yeah. And they saw yeah. it as liberation music. So I think that the same thing, you know, I think they, they see black folks in general. Mm -hmm. No matter mm -hmm. how you see it, we see you as you represent freedom or at least a freedom movement. Right. Now, right, do right. you embrace that, or do you? I don't want to get into Jay Z or say, "Well, no, I, you know, we now I'm a capitalist, man. I, you know, fuck that. I'm, where's where's the factory for the gym shoes? Yeah, right. you, know, I, you know, that kind. You know, so yeah, yeah. Here's but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's what I think is going to happen with this NBA situation. I think Silver's going to go and cool it out. Right. And I think that the, the Chinese basically have sent up some warning shots just right. to say, look, we're just reminding you who you're doing business with. Right. Because there's, look, let's face it, there's a lot of money at stake for both sides. Right. Right. You know, I mean, obviously they, they could do without each other. They could, exactly. both can afford to be without each other. But right. they both understand 
there's a lot of money to be made. Mm-hmm. I think they'll work it out. But but China just said, uh, no, that we don't play that. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't play that. Now, I think that's a warning shot. But but hey, but this right. is the first time. But if it happens again, we're, we're really going to shut it down. But it'd be like I guess if they would come here and play by their rules. Well, no, you can't play by your rules here. And right. they say, well, you can't play by your rules here. But it's it's a it's it's you know if your whole thing is lands are free and all that. But but all this stuff, we're in a. But this is a tremendous context when you talk about lands that are free and all that. When those very things are under assault here. Right. Yeah. And a, another interesting part of the story is the the Rockets owner who who he did rebuke Maury right away and said, you know, the Rockets are not. A political, we're not right. a political organization, right. yeah, but Tillman, that's funny. Tillman but Fertitta. Fertitta, but he, but he's also a, a, a loud supporter of Donald Trump. Mm. So you actually are a political, <laughs> a political organization yeah, when you want. Right. By definition, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right. So there, you know, there's so many layers to this. And if that would come out, I mean, in other words, and I think there's a way to get at. Look at all the NBA and NFL owners. Who mm-hmm. supports who? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, we know yeah, the I mean, let's 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 right. look at this whole thing and the great kind of. So I'm saying. You know, while we could still be on the air, you know that that this should be a very enlightening experience. Absolutely, those guys should come back, eyes wide open. And those are, those are you know interesting questions to ask these guys when they come back to see, you know, if they were paying attention and, and what what their thoughts are on it. I guess I guess they can't say anything. Not yet, anyway. That's the irony of this whole thing. But you would go back, Steve. You you would go back. You take your no, I, I would go back because because here's the thing. I you know I want to go to the people. I want to go to the people. I, you know it's because when you get when you get below the politics and stuff, when you get to the when you go out in the in the farmlands and the in the street whatever, you're dealing with the people. Right. right. You know, and not all of the people you know agree with what's going on. Right. You know, over there. So, but also even just to find out what common threads that we do have because because at the, at the foundation man we're all human beings right you know i mean i'm not talking about this i mean this is different obviously I, I wouldn't be thinking about doing that in north korea because i wouldn't go over there if you gave me a million dollars forget right. about that but <laughs> you know but i mean but you know with china i feel like there's an open because because there's a right. lot of chinese students who are coming here to study that's right and they're really getting they're really beginning to understand what we're about so i think that there's an opening there in terms of connecting directly with the people and not through the government. Right, it would be good. Maybe we'll get somebody from Hong Kong to come over and, I mean, to come on. Yeah. And, and talk about, because, you, you, I mean, we're, we're talking around the issue, but it would be good to get right in the issue. What exactly is at play here? What are we talking about here? Yeah. There are always two sides of, of a story, right. you know, but it's just like in 1963 when you're looking at Selma, Alabama, and 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 water hoses and dogs and all that. They ain't that many. What's what's the other side of that yeah, story? Yeah, we're yeah, two yeah. sides of that yeah. story. Yeah, what's the you know yeah, two yeah, sides? Yeah, right, what's right. what's your side? And it's blatantly right there on television. Yeah. You know, so yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. Right, I was I was, I was on this panel. Bill, they're good Nazis too. You didn't no. know that? They're good Nazis no. too. Didn't know <laughs> no, we just, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. No, uh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, I was on this panel down at uh, at Howard yesterday with uh, uh, Michael Eric Dyson and Etan Thomas. And, of course, we talk about Jay-Z a lot, but mm-hmm. he, he made this deal with NFL. Mm-hmm. And Etan was really kind of said, no, but it's, you know, how are you doing that? Well, you know, Michael Eric Dyson, who's a friend of the show, but he's doing this book on Jay-Z, so he's kind of defending mm-hmm. Jay-Z. And he said, well, you know, 
what about nobody? Why is nobody critiquing if you t- critiquing Jay Z for taking money? What about uh, why is there not a, a critique about Kaepernick? You know, taking mm-hmm. money from the NFL, taking money they owed him for the, or taking Nike money. I, I did want to know. So, well, what's the critique of Kaepernick? I mean, what's tell me what the critique is of Kaepernick? I mean, what's the critique? <laughs> what is the critique? The guy has no job. Right. He, he cause and right. reaction. Right. You know, like he knelt. He's out the league. Mm-hmm. Right. Blatant mm-hmm. blackball. Mm-hmm. Now they're clearly more comfortable with Jay Z mm-hmm. than they are with Colin Kaepernick. Right. So, why? Why? Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why? I don't. Know. <laughs> and, and had something to say about Kaepernick's situation. He like totally dismissed it. You know. So yeah. it's kind of like, that's true. That was my big issue with Jay Z. Yeah. Actually, if he would have just come out, take the money. And say I'm doing this. This is strictly entertainment. But the way he did it was yeah. to kind of downgrade what yeah, keep what Kaepernick was doing. Mouth. Yeah, there was no reason for you to go yeah, there. Say I'm taking the money. Right. I'm a businessman, mm-hmm. and that's in the story. That's, it. Right, right. that's yeah. it. And number yeah. one, I'm a million billionaires. I don't have to explain yeah. myself in the first. How place. do you think I became a billionaire? <laughs> right. You know, billionaires don't become billionaires by accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they're that's making true. serious, you know, serious thought out moves right. of how to make money at every stop. At every absolutely. And, and right. quote unquote sacrifices that have to be made. Right. <laughs> so right. just don't. Right. Absolutely. Hopefully, you don't see Jay Z in China. Say, hey, listen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, anything can happen. I mean, hey, De- Dennis went to North Korea, so hey. That's right. Right. <laughs> anything can happen. I've got another right. story, but. That's, I guess it's Steve. been the great Steve Wilson. Steve. Uh, master flutist, <laughs> flautist, <laughs> reads, uh, teacher, educator, going to teach me how to And, prog- and prognosticator, too, because this brother... Like, he would say, like, Tyree Cohen. Ah, oh, that's right. North Carolina A&T. That's right. That's no, right. I didn't. I, I knew about him, but I was kind of like, oh, okay, small. What I, you said this cat was going to come in the league and yeah, do his thing. Yeah, and yeah. then you said also Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes would be way over Trubisky. You said no, that, uh, too. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, like that, yeah, you yeah, know, and Trubisky right. was drafted, what, 10 places right. ab- above those cats, right, right, you know? Right, right, <laughs> so right. Steve prognosticated right there. He knows. He knows. <laughs> so, we'll, so we'll have you on next time for some more predictions. <laughs> like come, come, draft time. come draft time. Uh, we, we'll get you right back on. Okay, okay. I tell, yeah. I tell you what, though, man. I would love to come back and, and talk about HBCU stuff mm, and yeah. NCAA stuff because that's also very timely. Mm. And, well, uh, well, actually, you should come up because, you know, that's what uh, is part of what I do for The Undefeated. Uh, I work now for ESPN's The Undefeated. Oh, man. The Undefeated. I write for them. But the biggest thing Aaron and I do uh, is that uh, – they created this fellowship in my name. It's called the Roden Fellows. Mm. And the Roden Fellows are six students from six HBCUs around the country. Wow. And it's a, it's a year-long fellowship. Mm. They get paid. Aaron Matthewson, our wonderful producer, is a, is a coordinator of the Roden Fellows. Okay. They are going to actually be in town on Saturday. Oh, really? This is our third class. Wow. And they're going to be in town on Saturday. We've got a kid, actually two from Hampton. Oh, man. Uh, one from North Carolina A&T. Uh-huh. One from Bowie, uh, two from Howard. Okay. So, you know, maybe between gigs, if, if you would, you know, either we yeah. could come see you play. Yeah, man, I would we love that. We could come that. see you play, but if you could talk to them, that would be, I would love that would that. be tremendous. I would absolutely love it. See, yeah. they'll be here. Aaron is our coordinator. Uh, but that would be wonderful, man. Because yeah. that we have, and if you look at Undefeated Site, by the way, uh, Jamal went to uh, North Carolina A&T. Okay. 
Okay. Which makes our relationship Aggie Pride? Yeah, yeah. Miraculous. Because <laughs> right. I went to Morgan. Right. And it's like, yeah, you know, right. we had a we had a 24, 25 game winning streak. When I went to Morgan, we had I, I know people heard this shit before, but some things never die. So I went to Morgan. <laughs> I played football in Morgan. Right. When I got there, 68, we had a 23 game winning streak. We had the longest small college winning streak in the nation. Oh, right? man. Beat Grambling right here, Yankee yeah, Stadium. You were in that game, right? It, yeah. Grambling, well, I, was, I was in uniform, put it like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in uniform. Okay. Uh, but I was there. I was in, you know, I was there. But we beat Grambling. Then we went into, we beat, uh, we beat, we were three of them. Then we went down to North Carolina a t Oh, okay. And they okay. cheated. So we lost. <laughs> <laughs> they cheated. We scored like three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> and each time there was something wrong. You oh, know, really? Something oh, wrong. So we lost. That. So they A and T snapped our winning streak. Oh, man. And I'm like, 18, maybe After I just you beat Grambling. We beat everybody. Oh, we man. beat these these clowns <laughs> <laughs> down at A and T in Greensboro. Greensboro. And ever since then, and I remember we pulled in and they had these people had like a a cemetery, like a fake cemetery. And they had oh, Raymond Chester, wow. Frenchie Fuqua. And all that. And I'm like, oh, wow, goodness, man, this man. is really That's deep. deep. Wow. You know, and then by, I remember Coach Banks always said, you know, like we get there and then we had uh, a we had the, the pregame meal. Uh-huh. And, and it was he said, don't eat yourself out the ball game. <laughs> and of course, they would feed us big plates of food, <laughs> right. sausage. And all that Coach Banks warns it, don't eat yourself out the ball game. The itis for the game. <laughs> yeah. Man, the cats were like, of course, big plates of food. <laughs> and of course, it was like hot yeah, and right. humid, you know. <laughs> and so we lost. And I remember. I remember, like, wow, man! I just like, <laughs> and we lost anyway. So, <laughs> anyway, another great day in North Carolina. Another, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, it takes me a while because like, we had, you know, pulling our class of fellows. We had to interview people at the A and T. Said, "Man, you gonna have to be really good, <laughs> really." Special. And of course, now they got the homecomings coming. They call it what they call it. G man, what are they call greatest, yeah, greatest, home- greatest homecoming on earth. Oh, yeah, that's what they call G- it. G-Hope. Yeah, wow. G-Ho. greatest homecoming on earth. Wow. So we gotta, we gotta. But anyway, the kids, the, the fellows will be here on Saturday. Oh man, beautiful. So seriously, okay. if there's a way that okay. you could come on, you're gonna be playing Saturday. No, but I'm around. So, oh, well, come you know, on up. Yeah, I would def- definitely. Because we're gonna take them to dinner. Oh man, okay. it'd be great if you could, uh, well, you know, talk about, you know. You know, HBCU. When you want to talk about HBCUs, you talk about Yeah, HBCUs. yeah, I'd love to. Okay, here's our producer, Aaron <laughs> Matthews, who does have an item to share. Oh, okay. I don't know right. where, where this is going. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, hi, right. Steve. So nice to meet you. My pleasure. Um, Jamal and Nabate, good to see you. And yeah. Bill. Um, so we couldn't leave the podcast without talking about one person. I mean, you know. NBA is important, China, Zion, everybody, but Simone Biles. Oh, of course. Of course. Yes. Of course. So she's in, so you guys have heard about this. So she's in Germany and she's hoping to get her fifth world championship mm-hmm. title tomorrow, mm-hmm. Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did this. Uh, let me see. I have, actually have to look it up. It's the double twist, double back. I don't know what that is, but it sounds yes, crazy. Another, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's something crazy. Yeah. It's no, never been done before. And she did it on a beam. Not even on, so insane, not many man. people have tied it on the floor, and she did it on the beam, which it's has insane. never been done before. It's insane. And they 
barely they gave her like a tenth of a point more than you mm. get on the floor and she's you know she and other people are upset because they're like it's way she deserves more points so you because she didn't get a perfect score um i don't remember what this what the score was but i know pe- there was a debate over how much how many and, more points they should have given her and also her reputation should get her more po- you know it's not like she's new Right in the game, you right. know what I mean? Right. Like, right. right, right, you know. Well, so. and the committee is saying they they don't want to give incentive to other gymnasts because they're afraid that people will do it, will try it, and hurt themselves. Oh, that's that's ridiculous. Oh, that's wow. ridiculous. I mean, come that's on. that's absolutely ridiculous. Right. No. Like, that's a blatant I mean, excuse. No, yes. that's ridiculous. No, it it, it's, it you know it it just goes to show. You know, it's the same old axiom, man. You know, even when we are twice as good. Right. Right. You know, because had they just said that with, uh, you know, with Nadia Comaneci or Mary Lou Ritten, mm-hmm. I didn't hear anybody saying, no, well, we got to mark them down so that the, this is, she's raising the bar for everybody. That's right. She's That's reinventing right. gymnastics before our very eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So they can mark whatever they want, but they can't deny greatness. Right. And everybody else can see it, you know. Right. Yeah. And so, young kids are going to try that. Absolutely, right. they will try. That's we. This is it's inspirational. Yeah, that's how that's how it progresses. That's how all of the you know it always progresses. So, no, she she's she's the baddest that ever was, and no and, and will be for a while until right. the next one comes along. Yes, indeed. So yeah, you know they can look like her. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and and look, it's it's they can mark whatever they want to, but they can't deny greatness. They can't deny greatness. So you know. No, she she's. I was saying the other day, man. She's she's the great innovator of our time. One of the great innovators That's of our right. time in real time and right. watching innovation. Right. And how often is that? Probably the most underrated athlete right now. No, yeah. I think and yeah. She's a right. she's a all she's a goat. Right. And, and I, I think she's the athlete of the decade. To be honest. I, yeah, I even, would agree with even that. over Serena. I would even agree with Serena. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. I would love this. I would love to see the the commercial uh, network news. Give give more time to that than some of the nonsense that we have to deal with, because <laughs> you know because this is something that everybody can believe in. Man. Right. It transcends all that nonsense, and she's raising she's raising the bar for all of us in terms. And she of had to deal can... with Nasser, and she and she spoke oh, out about it. You know, she yeah. was she, and she kept going. Yeah, she's yeah, she's amazing. Remember yeah. just something else that happened in Germany? You know, someone that was ahead of their right. time. 1936. Yeah, Jesse Owens. Absolutely. Right? Same. It's kind of like goes back full circle. Never changes. Full circle. Never That's changes. Right. So, so, so what's your so the trip and check? So just so the folks who are her, her giving her like the one tenth of a point instead of more points, they're tripping. They're not the whole thing about oh. safety. Oh no question. And looking oh, out. Absolutely. That's, That's a bunch of you know what. That's absolutely. a bunch of no you know what. No, no, come on. No. I mean, I think safety is important, but it's like, come on. She's yeah. this is this is a winner. Get better coaches. They, yeah. They, yeah. Just get better. No, yeah. They, they just can't they yeah. just can't deal with it when you know, when someone of color comes along and raises the bar so damn high right. that you know what? It's gonna take y'all another generation to get to this. Right. Exactly. Right. You know? Exactly. Not only is she great and better than everybody, but but above. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, way above. So they just can't. Yeah. Some people just can't deal with. And that's a. It's, be, it's beyond tripping, really. It's 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 an assault it's on disrespectful. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It's an assault on her, on everybody, on fairness. You know, it's just, it's terrible. Like that, that, I mean, it's a blatant excuse. In. Anything we get involved in, and we Africanize it, we take it to an, another level. Right. In this conversation, we talk about Charlie Parker. Right. Just completely changing 
music. Yeah, she, she's the Charlie Parker about that. You know, athletics. You mentioned Jesse O. Now, Simone, 2019, this young black girl, mm-hmm. a sport that's identified quote unquote white, was white. Mm-hmm. She's completely taken that out of their hands and completely <laughs> redone it. <laughs> and that is the shit. Our little kids won't be able to do that. That's right. And all these other little black girls who mm-hmm. probably will. And bl- yeah, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it's this whole thing of white supremacy and how everything is under assault, which is why we are where we are in this, this tension that we feel here because all this stuff some people feel is under attack. The norm. Right. The norm. Right. Is under, is under That's assault. Right. That's right. And the authors of it, like you said, we go to China, and the NBA and all these black guys represent freedom mm-hmm, and right. liberation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, and it, it's, it's very profound, but it's gratifying. Yeah. It's yeah. really gratifying. Yeah. You know, if, if nothing else, I mean, I think this illustrates to the world what, what's happening with the situation with Biles. It's illustrate that, that the bullshit is still there. Right. Mm-hmm. When everybody wanted to believe it, no, the playing field is equal. You know, right. just, no, it's not. We see what mm-hmm. it is. Right. We see it. Because, first of all, we know the codes. Right. We yes, recognize right. the codes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we see through all of them different codes, man, and this is just another one of them. Right. And didn't she take two years off, too? She took two years off as yeah. well, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what I, I mean, thought. Right. Came so back in 2018. She deserved yeah. it. She yeah, deserved yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. Just, but, that, but, that, but that's what I mean. Like, her... That's the thing, and she's been doing this a long time. She's supposedly past her prime, right. quote that's unquote. Supposed, yeah, yeah, you know by, what by I mean. Gymnastics so right, so. right. So it's just that's that's what's amazing about it. So. Yeah. yeah. So I said, go ahead, Simone. Go ahead, cause she cause she ain't done yet. That's oh. the thing. Twenty twenty. <laughs> obviously Tokyo. not Tokyo. That's all. She obviously not. She has a new move every every so, time. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's all I have, guys. That was that's uh-huh. my news. Oh, I thought right. that was. Well, yeah. How could you top that? Uh, yeah, right. True. I mean, there's Game Five, Mystics, Connecticut Sun tomorrow as well. Okay, yeah. definitely that's check right. that out. Yes, that's right. I, I, I was disappointed. I saw the fourth quarter. I was disappointed about how the Mystics did not execute. They didn't show that they were the better team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't execute at the end. Uh, Connecticut could win. Seriously, it's a it's a toss up now. Toss-up. You know, Della Don is, is injured, right? She's, yeah, she she's not a hundred percent, and they didn't give her the ball down the stretch. Like Della Don, if I was her, I'd be like, I'm the superstar, I'm the MVP. Give me the ball. Yeah, I don't, yeah. you know, when you injured, you still got to take the ball by the horns. Yeah, you know? so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I got. Thanks, guys. All right, all right. thank you for that. Hey, so uh, we'll do a little. Anyway, thank you, Aaron. That was tremendous. Uh, Steve is going to join us, join the Road Fellows tomorrow. Saturday, Sunday or Saturday? Sa- Saturday, Saturday, yeah. Saturday. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man, for being here. Thank this you. Was, this was tremendous. I was. Jamal, Devate, as usual. All right. Aaron, thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of <laughs> Bros Pod, Bill Roden on Sports. Till then, have a tremendous week. God bless, and we'll talk to you guys later on.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.